You're listening to the Pastor Writer Podcast, Episode 8. In today's podcast, I had the privilege of speaking with Mary DeMuth. Mary's a well-known and respected Christian writer as well as educator. She runs a great site on writing, constantly speaks at writers' conferences. And in our interview, we really got to cover a lot of ground, everything from understanding, developing, and accepting your voice as a writer, to practicing the craft, to staying positive and hopeful about the publishing process and the publishing industry. It's one of the things that I've always respected most about Mary, and also her willingness to just be spiritual to lead with her faith. And so uh, we ended up closing the podcast with a prayer specifically about the challenges of writing and publishing. And I think it'll mean a lot to you. I know it did to me. I hope you enjoy the episode. Well, it's my privilege to have on the podcast today, Mary DeMuth. And Mary, if you're not familiar with her already, um, you probably haven't dug too deep. One of the, probably the best way to introduce her is to say, spend a day or an afternoon researching Christian publishing, and you are going to come across her name, probably her website, and plenty of articles. Mary's the author of over 30 books across fiction, nonfiction, the latest Jesus Every Day, a prayer devotional, 365 daily prayers. You might be interested to know uh, she and her husband have also spent time in southern France church planning. She has two podcasts, the Restory podcast, the Pray Every Day podcast. In addition to all of that writing and ministry, she also teaches on writing and publishing, uh, primarily at booklaunchmentor.com, as well as some self-published books on the topic. So, Mary, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Well, it's probably fair to say you didn't wake up one day and say, hey, I'm going to write 30 books and uh, build a whole mm-hmm. website about teaching, writing, and publishing. Uh, I have a feeling that's a little bit of a process for you. Uh, I'm really interested maybe to start off with just you talking about how you sensed your own call to writing and how that process began for you, how you sort of found yourself beginning and traveling down this road of writing and publishing. Sure. So, yeah, like you said, it's a lot more organic than just making that decision, Um I grew up in a difficult environment, and one of the ways that I processed my life was through writing in a journal, and that helped me kind of maintain my sanity, and so that kind of was my origins of writing. I remember in the second grade, I had a teacher who said that, uh, who told my mom that I was a good writer, and it just kind of stayed in the back of my mind. My father was also a professor of English and and a poet, so I have some writer genes in there somewhere. And when I got to college, I, I I think because I write both nonfiction and fiction, I've got this ability in my mind to do both sides of my brain. So when I started college, I was going to be a math major. And uh, that I, I did that for several years, and then I just got tired of it and, and jumped over to English. So it just kind of gives you an idea of where where I'm coming from. I've got both sides going on. And then um, by the time I got married and had my first child, there was something that happened with that first baby. I just had her and I knew after I gave birth that I wanted to birth a book. And so that started me on about a 10-year journey toward publication of just writing uh, a whole bunch of unpublished words in obscurity, honing my craft, getting better and better at writing. And so that by the time I finally did pursue publication, it happened fairly quickly, but there was that 10 years of just working in obscurity that uh, kind of informed the later success that came from that. Yeah, I think people that seems it seems common. First of all, most of the time, uh, people that all of a sudden they've published a book and you say, "Oh, you know, overnight here here they are a success." Uh, and then you dig and find, no, they've been working years and years and years on this craft. And um, 
for some people, I think that might be discouraging or disheartening to think, you know, here I am pursuing this and you're telling me I could be 10 years of just practicing away. Um, how does a person or in particular, how did you, how did you sustain interest and believe and faith, um, 10 years of practicing and working, nobody necessarily reading or publishing. And yet still, you, you know, you sense that's going somewhere that God's doing something in it. How did you sustain that? I guess it was just this deep knowing of, of, of obedience. Like I felt like God had gifted me in that area and that this was a talent, so to speak, that he had given me and that I wanted to be able to get to the end of my life and meet Jesus face to face and have him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And I felt like he had given me this gift of communication and that I should not squander it. I should steward it well. And so, um, you know, I think things would be differently now if, if my beginning roots were happening when the internet was going on, because I think I would have published faster. I probably would have had a blog and all of that, but this was before that. And so obscurity was just kind of how it had to be. I don't think people today have to worry about that. You can have a built-in audience immediately, but I'm also kind of grateful for the sacredness of the quiet and the fact that I didn't have a lot of audience when I was developing my voice so that when it finally developed that uh, I then started building the audience once my voice was there. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. We we tend to think when we're writing, the quicker we can get to an audience, right? The quicker we can get to a platform, the quicker the words are in someone's hand. Um, but I really do think there is something to this idea of years. I've shared a little bit about that sort of in my own writing, that there were several years there where I was taking sermons or taking content, writing them, you know, putting everything down in, in long form and then not doing anything with it. I didn't blog with it, didn't share it. And uh, I do feel like there's something about the sort of just the sacred practice of that, the contentment of it that allows you to dig deeper into craft than maybe you can when you're just thinking about likes and shares and publishing and <laughs> if it's going viral or not. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think that other aspect of it, the viral aspect and the shares and the likes can be very obscuring to the art of writing and it can, it can sideline and sidetrack you um, from creating really beautiful art. So, you know, just reading the book Deep Work uh, last year was really helpful for me, knowing that I need to have um, long extended periods of time where I'm quiet and I can hear God's voice and I can create something that's unique because a lot of times, I mean, I, I get asked to endorse things all the time and most of the time I don't endorse um, because a lot of what I read out there, especially in the Christian sphere, is just regurgitated content, and I'm just sick of it. I'm tired of the same old boring metaphors, the same old ways of exegeting Scripture. Not that we shouldn't, you know, go to our concordance and to our Greek and our Hebrew lexicons and all of that, and there will be some commonality there, but um, but I, I'm tired of having an unimaginative view of Christianity, and it's it's become more like a bunch of people who want to be published and recognized rather than word artists who want to come up with something fresh. Yeah. It's a really tough distinction. You know, am I doing this because 
I want to be published or am I doing this because there's this message, this call, this passion inside of me and getting that right, putting those words together correctly is really the most important thing. And and that's what you were describing when you talk about working on the craft of it, just figuring out how do I actually tangibly do this thing? Um, I'm curious what that process looks like for you. Um, I know for me, reading has played a big part of it, but sometimes the reading, especially early on, can start obscuring the writing. You just start sounding like the people that are most impactful in your reading. So this finding your voice piece that you've mentioned, the craft piece, you're doing this sort of in in private for years at a time. Um, how did you see those things beginning to develop and how were you intentional about developing them? I think voice comes from volume. And, and so, um, for instance, I in the beginning of the 2000s, I walked into a local newspaper, a very small one, and I said, hey, you need a columnist. And they said, yeah, you're right. We'll hire you. So they hired me for $25 a week, which was huge. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I wrote these columns. And by the time I wrote 100 columns, a friend of mine who is my writing mentor, uh, she emailed me back and she said, I think you found your voice. And so think about that. I mean, that's a hundred weeks of writing of, you know, four or 500 words. And, um, it takes time to find out who you are and to, to kind of, you know, I think a lot of people do try on everybody else's voice because everyone's so cool and unique and you want to sound like them. And, and that happens to every writer, but eventually you get into this rhythm of volume where you are just writing and writing and writing and you can't help but your, have your voice come out. And so my encouragement to people is to write and to write daily and to write often. And the more you write, the more you will discover that voice and the more people will even be able to see your writing without your name on it and say, oh, I know that that comes from so-and-so because I can tell that that's their voice. And so that's not something to put aside. It's it's an important part of the process. Yeah, I'm curious to get your opinion. When I think about voice, um, in some ways I think of voice as an act of faith because I know what has held me back from finding voice or recognizing my voice is uh, wanting to control it, right? Wanting, <laughs> wanting to have a wanting to have a say in what comes out and how it's perceived. And so, you know, you find people that you like and you try to imitate it, or you pick up, you know, and start sounding like them because it's it's you you get a say in this thing. But I've found voice to be something that it really does tend to be a grace, the sort of gift that God gives. And uh, I think we talk about discovering your voice because it's not something we end up necessarily making or plotting, but something we eventually just come to accept and receive and then begin to work with what what we've been given. Um, Is that true for how you've thought about voice and come to found your own? Yeah, definitely. I think um, it also comes down to being comfortable in your own skin, like you said, because if you try to control the narrative – you're going to be frustrated. And it's kind of like a PR firm trying to control the narrative of someone who's messed up. It's, it just shows that that person is trying to create a facade for the world. And I don't want that at all to be what's said about my voice. And that means that I'm going to have to share things that are hard and share things that are struggles and share things that are honest and maybe don't make me look awesome in everybody's limelight, you know, (laughs) or whatever limelight I might have. I don't know. But, um, I think part of that is that honesty. So some people don't ever find their voice because they're not willing to share, um, you know, not everything, you know, we don't want to share everything, but they're not willing to share anything about what they're really thinking. And so therefore they'll never have their voice. It'll never happen. 
pastors have a, a sort of intersection here, I think. And it's interesting because, you know, you hear this topic of voice a lot in writing. Um, but when it comes to preaching, um, people don't talk as much about the, the voice they bring to the pulpit or when they're writing sermons. But I think there is an overlap. I think the more you preach when you've been doing it for years, um, unfortunately, like writing, so much of it can be sort of uh, mimetic, like just kind of copying what, you know, seeing somebody else do something and trying to imitate it. But I think when you find that in, in, in sermon writing and sermon delivery, where it becomes truly you, right? And it is. It's mm-hmm. personal, even though it may not just be a personal narrative. Like you've wrestled personally through these passages. There's some life experience behind it. Mm-hmm. And you start to find your own way into these biblical stories and into presenting them to other people. Um, for me, those two have been more connected than I, I realize. That finding my voice and giving myself sort of acceptance in preaching has kind of helped me unlock that potential in writing. And as it's gotten stronger in writing, I've trusted it more than it started to flow over. Um, I'm curious, you do quite a bit of speaking as well. Mm-hmm. And then with church planning, how have you seen those two voices interacting, the way that you're writing, the way that you're speaking? Um, are they connected for you? Where's that intersection? They're absolutely connected to, with me because I feel like the gift God's given me is the gift of communication. So whether that is through the written word or through the spoken word, um, it's going to sound fairly similar. Of course, writing is a little more formal and you can control it a little more than what comes out of your mouth. But um, but yeah, I've seen that connection and and I, I remember this experience I had where um, I've been speaking for years and years and years and I hired this person who was a marketing um, guru. And he decided that he wanted to critique my speaking and which would have been fine if he had been a speaker person, but he wasn't. And he and his wife uh, listened to me speak at this event in Germany. And so they had my track on one track and then beneath it is their comments. And they would say things like, this is terrible or you're boring your audience right now. And they were just really awful. Like it was not constructive at all. It was just mean. And it took me a really long time. It took me about two years to get back into the mm. speaking circuit because I felt like I must have been a sham or I must not know known what I was doing. But then I remembered back to the event and I remembered how the Holy Spirit moved in and through that little congregation and how he changed people's lives. And I realized that I had just kind of bowed down to someone else's opinion of what a professional speaker needed to sound like versus what God had empowered me to do. And if I looked at how what God had empowered me to do, then I had so much joy and so much hope and knowing, you know, God works through our weakness anyway. So it's not like I'm so awesome and he, you know, meets my awesomeness and then something cool happens. It's more like I'm desperate and I need him and he meets me in that weakness and then he shows up and does great things. And so I think that's true for our writing and our speaking that we need to shake hands with ourselves and know that our our style and our voice is going to be different than other people's and that that's okay. And to just kind of, instead of feeling guilty about it or feeling like you're not good enough, just think um, instead that maybe this is the way God has uniquely created you to communicate and to kind of step into it and um, nestle yourself into that. Yeah, and to, I, I like that image to sort of lean into it and say, you know, hey, this is what I've been given to work with. So, what do I do with it? You know, what, what, how do I take this and through craft make the best of it? Um, I think another part of this voice conversation is inevitably the things you end up writing about. So, the topics or the the ways that you approach these topics. Um, you've written over thirty books, so some of those both fiction, some of them nonfiction as well. Uh, I'm really interested when it comes to somebody like you that's so prolific that is taking on so many. Problems 
product. I actually think I found one interview with you. I heard um, you said you had written 23 books in a period of seven years, which is sort of like mind boggling for me, right? <laughs> um, so you're making some pretty quick decisions about what I'm writing about and where that that material, this content is coming from personally. Um, I think that's a piece of your voice as well, too, just those decisions. How do you do that? How do you decide this is what God's putting on my heart to write about? Here's the next thing that I'm taking on or the first thing that I'm going to take on as a project. Typically, it, it starts with anger. I um, find something in the world or I notice something in the world that I'm angry about, that I see that there's an injustice or there's something wrong. One of my um, – I did a novel trilogy on basically um, – fake Christians. It was just driving me crazy that there were so many people out there who would name the name of Christ, but then not act like Christians and really live as wolves. And we experienced that as missionaries. And so it was just something that really bothered me. And so I decided, well, I don't want to really write about this in a nonfiction form because I can't. (laughs) So I'm going to create some really interesting characters and bring them along a journey Um, And that all began with anger, like things are not as they should be, therefore I'm going to write a book about it. And so that's kind of where I end up starting. Um, Or I see a need that I, if my readers will come to be, come to me with needs, um, I see that need and I think, okay, there's a way that um, perhaps the Lord and I partnering together can meet this need in the body of Christ and fill uh, maybe an empty place that needs to be filled. I actually came across a, a similar story. Eugene Peterson's one of my favorite Christian authors, and uh, I can't remember if, if I read it or heard him say it, but he was talking about a, a period where he just felt like his writing had kind of fallen off. He was still doing some of it. It just didn't have the sort of energy behind it that he wanted it to, and he was talking to his wife, and she was kind of seeing the same thing in his writing, and he said he realized because uh, um, he had been working on the message translation and things were going well at their church, he said, I just hadn't been angry about anything in a mm-hmm. while, and so it had lost kind of the passion and this this need to write, right? This need to, to say and put things together um, maybe differently than everyone else is seeing. It reminded me exactly of what you were saying. Um, one of the things you also do in addition to this is coaching writers on this these kinds of conversations. So things like craft and voice. And um, I mentioned before that in uh, addition to your writing, you're doing coaching, you're doing what you call mentorship, the book launch mentor. And um, it's my understanding that's both the craft but also the publishing side. Uh, I'm interested to know how that came out. I mean, you're writing quite prolifically. And then at some point, there's the decision to, in addition to that, add on helping other writers. Um, how did you come to that decision? Yeah, as I've been thinking, I've actually been thinking about that question lately. And it, it I think it's that I have a natural desire to help people in, um, it sounds stuck up, I don't mean it to sound that way at all, but um, a, just a natural desire to impart what I've learned. And maybe that's just the teacher inside of me. And so if I had learned to be an auto mechanic, I think I would have taught other people how to be auto mechanics. If I had learned, you know, how to do a triathlon, then I would teach someone else how to do a triathlon. So those are the kind of things, this is just the kind of how I'm wired. So within um, a few months of learning, for instance, learning how to write a query letter a long time ago, uh, within a few months, I was teaching people how to do it. And so I would learn it, I would master it, and then I would teach other people. And then I would learn, you know, doubly, because when you teach something, you learn it better. And so I just kind of, over the years, have gotten a reputation for helping writers have spoken and keynoted at writers conferences around the nation and the world. And, um, and so I've just got been known for that. And 
And I've seen also just the beauty of pouring into other writers and empowering them to spread the message of the kingdom to everywhere. And so uh, for a couple of years now, this will be my fourth year, I go to uh, Switzerland and I do a writer's intensive at a YWAM base there. And um, that sparked a stateside intensive, which I'll have one again this year in uh, July 9th through the 13th um, here in Texas. And so I it I decided that um, creating this week-long intensive was really helpful to people who are, are like, you know, I really want to write a book and I think I need to get it out there. And so I just walk them through the whole process of how do you get an idea? How do you write it? How do you um, analyze it? How do you outline it? How do you get it printed? How do you, you know, all those things, how do you market it? How do you have a platform? What social media, all the things that are connected together. um, That's basically what I've kind of come to do as well as one-on-one coaching and things like that. Yeah. So it's interesting the way this conversation is developing. We, uh, we were talking earlier on about practicing craft and finding voice kind of in isolation, almost without telling anyone, right? Years of just sort of putting your head down, closing the door, writing, um, and now we're talking about there are these places that you can go and sit down with other writers and talk about your ideas and work on the writing and gain advice. And I don't know if I reconciled early on in writing how important these two spheres are to to mm-hmm. both have going at the same time, that there's times where I close the door and I, I practice, I do the work, right? And I go deep into it personally. But I can't live there or I go crazy. <laughs> Eventually, you have to pull yourself back out and build relationships and meet people within the industry and also be willing to let people read what you've written and get feedback and put that in the feedback loop and then practice privately again. Um, I'm curious what, how you would describe the value of those relationships, this community, being part of a community like that that you're building through Book Launch Mentor. Yeah, it's so invaluable. And I I remember the first major writers conference I went to, um, which was when I got an agent. And uh, it was just so fulfilling and exciting because I had been spending all that time in obscurity, not really knowing, thinking that maybe I was okay at it. And people, you know, once in a while giving me some feedback, but to have other professionals give you that feedback and say this is publishable was extremely helpful. And then I would say that um, it wasn't necessarily the relationships with the higher ups that have sustained me over the year years in my writing, although those have been helpful. And I have some of those kind of relationships with publishers and marketers and all that kind of stuff. But it was my peers, the people who were in the same place as I was that I met at Mount Hermon in, you know, 2002, 2003, that those people were the ones that have been such a blessing to me because we've grown together. We have, uh, we have been in the publishing journey alongside one another for decades now. And now I know I have found that tribe. And in fact, I have a mastermind group that is a marketing and writing mastermind group and we meet every other week and I don't know where I would be without them, but they all started as peers at a writer's conference. Yeah, I just know it's been true for me. I think I waited too long um, to start jumping into some of these types of relationships. And part of, I mean, that's part of what this podcast has been. But even beyond that, um, I had Mick Silva on a while back. He and I had been working together in a uh, coach relationship over the year. And just more and more and more, I'm starting to see the benefits of even if you have to pay someone to coach or mentor mm-hmm. and like finding ways to, to, 
to not just do this alone, but to surround yourself with people, to receive feedback, to be able to grow through you know input and advice that other people are giving you. Um, I think it's the only way to make this whole writing and publishing thing sane <laughs> because if you try to do it totally on your own, I think it'll drive you a little bit mad. You have to have these relationships and people around you who can help you take a deep breath, keep perspective, keep showing you a path and how to improve. And so um, maybe that's a long way of saying thanks for all that you give back and do for the community. Um, I think that stuff's really, really valuable. Well, and it doesn't have to be a, a financial burden to you as well. So we started, a friend of mine actually started the Rockwell Christian Writers Group here where I live in Texas back in like 2001, 2002, and I joined soon after. And the people that started that group, we were all unpublished writers, but we really wanted to be published. And so we've been together since then. And um, all of our leadership in that group has now been traditionally published um, multiple times. And so you can do something um, in your community that doesn't cost anything. We just meet in our church uh, once a month. And we decided as we continued on in our journey that once a month was not enough. So the three of us who started that group pulled away and called ourselves Life Sentence. And we met weekly for years, helping each other um, with our manuscripts. And uh, those two girls still um, look after or look at my manuscripts before I hand them in. So it doesn't have to be something you pay for. You can create those kind of relationships right now, but you need to make sure that the people you connect with are serious, that they actually want to improve in their craft and they are willing to hear criticism because that if you're not, or if they're not, it, it doesn't work very well. One of the other things I had mentioned I wanted to talk about with you, and part of this is just me looking on from the outside, um, in all the ways that you approach your writing, your projects, your teaching of writing, um, the word I used was it always seems uh, optimistic. <laughs> There's a, a, a positivity about how you approach some of this. And what can be, I know for some people, a frustrating process or a confusing process or sort of a uh, hope-limiting <laughs> process. Um, but every time I hear you speak, every time I've seen you write or read through some of your, your material, there's always a kind of hope that if you submit yourself to this process, if you really just stick with it, that this path is possible for people. I'm just curious how you keep that optimism, where that comes from for you. It must come from the Lord because <laughs> I have, I think I just tweeted today that if you want to be traditionally published, and we can talk about the difference between that and self-publishing, but if you want to be traditionally published, you have to settle your worth right now and you have to realize that your joy comes only in your worth in Christ, not in the fickle uh, ups and downs of the industry. And so uh, if you are going to be in that industry, there will be ups and downs and you have to prepare yourself for them realistically. But I think I think you're right in terms of if if someone outside of yourself that's not your mom has said that you are a good writer and that you communicate well, if you do apply yourself, um, you will find an audience. Now, I can never guarantee that it will be a large audience, thousands or millions, hundreds of thousands of people, but you will find an audience. And that is probably the best thing for a writer is to find an audience. And in that sense, I can say there's always hope and there's always joy. Um, and again, it comes down to being very teachable and being willing to bend and be willing to hear a lot of criticism and be willing to be rejected and be willing to pick yourself back up after rejection because it will happen time and time again. I used to think that once I got my first book contract, then I would have reached Nirvana and I would never have henceforth any more rejection. And uh, I don't know why I thought that, but I did. And I find a lot of other writers feel the same way. 
But actually the rejection gets harder and worse the longer you go in the journey. And so you do have to have this tenacity, this knowing that you're supposed to keep going and uh, cultivating that joy of the pure art of putting words on the page. Well, and the other thing I appreciate is you seem to keep a kind of humility about it too, because I think, you know, knowing our culture, knowing myself, um, rejection can also, for somebody creative, somebody who believes in their work can sometimes turn into a kind of cynicism or bitterness or a, uh, and you hear plenty of that. You hear plenty of people talking about the publishing industry, even the Christian Mm -hmm. publishing landscape. And um, through rejection, it sort of turned them sour or negative to the whole process. And um, the ability to be rejected to not take that personally, to keep a kind of humility and to keep, to keep practicing, to keep working, to keep moving forward. Um, I think that's a, it's a rare thing. And so I appreciate people who are able to give voice to that and do it in a positive way. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It's a fun journey. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, let's do this. Tell um, people real quick, just cause I want to make sure I don't leave anything out. We've talked about the book, um, uh, book launch mentor. Uh, I mentioned as well, you have a couple of podcasts that are more faith-based, um, other places where people could be able to follow you where they could find material. Yeah. So, um, I'm everywhere, every, where everything is. I'm on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. It's all at married muth. And, um, booklaunchmentor.com is where I uh, have some products. Um, One of the products that might be of interest to your listeners is a a proposal tutorial. It helps you to write a nonfiction proposal. And there's also a template that you can just, it's in Word. You can just download it and paste it. And then you just um, add your words to it. And I've had lots and lots of people get agents and, and contracts because of that. In fact, um, someone, uh, really close to me just recently submitted a manuscript and used that template and, uh, just found out that their book is being taken to committee. So there's a lot of things on that site. Uh, there's also a book launch checklist. So if you have a book and you want to be able to launch that book, well, it's got so many pages of different things that you could do to launch your book. And, and then of course the, the week long mentoring and all of that. So it's all there on booklaunchmentor.com and then everything else is on marriedmuth.com, which is where all my books and podcasts are. One, I'm interested in one. Uh, I noticed here recently, unless I've just missed it, um, it seemed like it was new for you. You've been doing a a Pray Every Day podcast. Tell me a little bit about how that came about. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned my uh, recent book is called Jesus Every Day, which is taking people through the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation um, bit by bit. And every day, um, it's kind of the opposite of Jesus calling. So in Jesus calling, you have Jesus saying stuff to you. In Jesus Every Day, it's you saying stuff to Jesus. So it gives words to a prayer based on the scripture that you receive every day. And um, as I was in my mastermind retreat this last, uh, just a couple of weeks ago in January, actually, uh, they actually came up with the idea of the Pray Every Day podcast, which is why everyone should be in a mastermind group because I wouldn't have thought of it. But they said, you really ought to be praying for people every day with your voice. And, and I so resonated with that because although I love to write down prayers, I much more love to say them out loud. And so um, Pray Every Day started February 1st. And uh, February and March, we went, we were going through the whole book of Philippians, verse by verse. And then after that, I haven't decided on what's going to be in April. I'm praying about that. But anyway, I just say a, a scripture, maybe one to three verses, and then I pray that scripture for you. And uh, you can find out more at prayeveryday.show. And it's been really exciting to hear the testimonies of changed lives. It's been really cool. 
Yeah, that's great. I think too, um, it just goes to show you again too, you get this voice, you understand sort of your heart, where it is. And for you, it's, it's sort of, uh, spilled over beyond the written word. So you find yourself doing it in podcasts now and even this one and on social media. And uh, I think you're a good example of that. So I, uh, uh, thought maybe a good way to end it up, not to put you on the spot then would be, would you mind uh, leading us in prayer? I haven't done that on the podcast, but I think it's appropriate and fitting and, um, maybe just, you know, uh, we've mentioned a little bit about most of the audience for this podcast, but mm-hmm. a lot of pastors, a lot of ministry leaders out there who are thinking about or working on writing. And you know, the, the long road of it, the frustrations, the challenges, the soul work that's required of it. And then all the, the pitfalls and dangers, just personally, the temptations that it leads. So maybe you could just uh, lead us in prayer for those that are undertaking that calling. Absolutely. Jesus, thank you so much for the people listening to this podcast today, and especially those who have um, just visions and uh, desires in their hearts to communicate your message in new and exciting ways. So Lord, I pray for an unleashing of your word through them, uh, because each of us carries you in in a unique way, and we have different ways of presenting you to this world. So I pray that your kingdom would expand because of the words that are being written and said by the people in this audience. I pray against uh, discouragement, Lord, and and just that um, how hard it is to get rejected and to keep going and to take the next step. But I pray for grit and tenacity and perseverance and and uh, just a deep down knowing that you have called them to this. And I I do pray that their w- words would find an audience even in the next year, Lord, that you would help them to see where that audience is and give them the power and the um, joy that they need to just bless the socks off that particular audience. I pray for, um, I, I, as I prayed before, I just do pray that your kingdom would expand based on these words. And and we pray for truth to prevail all over this world. And I know that we have such a responsibility with, the, with our words. Help us not to take that lightly, but to carry the weight of the responsibility of sharing words on our shoulders and just um, honor you as Lord and King um, in everything that we do. Uh, Father, I pray you would open doors for further ministry, open doors to publishing, open doors to agents, open doors to uh, projects that get out there, open doors to new podcasts, and just open those doors that need to be open so that more ministry can happen. And and I pray for the person today that's listening who's discouraged, and I pray that you would, um, I thank you that you are the lifter of their heads. You are the the one who understands the deepest needs that they have and the, the little discouragements and the big. And so I pray for specific encouragement to come to them today as they listen to this. And I pray all this in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Amen. Well, Mary, thank you. Um, I appreciate not just the advice and all you do for the community, but just your willingness to be transparent and and spiritual on a podcast right here with us. So it's uh, much appreciated. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You can find links to Mary's websites as well as all of her resources and podcasts by visiting pastorwriter.com slash eight. As always, if you're enjoying the podcast, I would appreciate you subscribing on iTunes and leaving a review. And if you haven't already, make sure and follow Pastor Writer on Facebook and Instagram. If you share the podcast there, it's really the best way to help new people find the podcast and the resources here. So as always, thanks for listening. Until next time.